When you first consider changing your family configuration, whether it be divorce, legitimation, a custody action, and whether you thought about it on your own or your spouse has raised the issue, your brain gets filled with an extraordinary amount of questions and an extraordinary amount of emotions. I'm Dawn. And I'm Kristen. And we're going to be answering all of your family law questions in hopes that it will help alleviate some of the unknowns you're wondering about. Welcome to Untying the Knots. Between the two of us, we have 45 years of legal experience. We've been involved in over a thousand cases, including our own. We've handled all types of issues involving families, including same-sex marriages, divorces, custody modifications, and child support. We've had clients who've been married and divorced to each other multiple times, and we've helped people who have been together for as little as two weeks and those who've been together for over 30 years. Yeah, our hope is that you can use this podcast like a search engine by scanning through our show notes or on the podcast tab of our website to see a list of every question that we answer and exactly what episode in time you'll find us answering your question. There's certainly situations where you don't want other members of your household seeing that you're looking into family law issues, and nothing is more important to us than your confidentiality and safety. This same podcast is available as a true crime show called The Not Family Mystery. Mm, How I love a true crime podcast. Mm -hmm. Every episode starts with a minute of typical true crime show, followed by the same exact content you have here. This way, if someone wants to see your phone, or if your Bluetooth isn't connected when you start an episode, your secret is safe. Will my kids be asked to testify in our divorce? No. 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 We don't like children having to testify. Judges don't want to have children hauled into the courtroom missing school coming into court to testify against their parents or I mean it's just it's awful can they be a witness yes right are there people that will do it yes. and are there lawyers that will encourage it yes I believe the people that live in this world that swim in these waters do not believe children should be in court or that they shall should have to choose remember your children regardless of what the arrangement was during the marriage or when y'all were together or at any time, see themselves as half you and half the other parent. Yeah. Right? And making them choose, even though when they see you, Kristen, they may tell you one thing. Of course. Right? Um, Even though they may tell you that, it is just not good to put them in that position. So can they be a witness in the case? Yeah. Do we have some judges that allow it? Yes. Do we think it's good for a kid to have to travel downtown, go to the parking deck, go through security, walk upstairs, see all the people with guns, walk into a courtroom with a man with a black robe and walk up and talk to them and think that kid's not going to be unscathed by that? Right. That is a huge, huge deal. Right. So one thing we can tell you is that you may hear from people is that children at certain ages under our statute can express their desires for who they want to live with primarily. And that's really what it is. It's not who they want. It's who they want to live with. Not do I have to go on Tuesdays or do I have to go on Saturday morning at 9 o'clock? It's the big question of where do I want to live most of the time. Right. At 11, kids can express it and they can put it in an affidavit. Um, The court does not have to consider it, but may consider it in Mm -hmm. doing what's called a best interest analysis. At 14, children can do the same thing. The court must consider it 
It is considered a change in circumstances, meaning if you already have a custody order, that expression of a desire can be a change that can get you back into court. And it's a rebuttable presumption. So the court doesn't have to do it, but it's presumed to be in the child's best interest unless after looking at all the evidence, it's determined not to be in a child's best interest. And let me tell you something. <laughs> it's my experience. Brain development is not complete until you're 25. Right. What I wanted at 14, God help me. <laughs> I would be dead if I got everything I wanted at 14. We no. have seen cases where kids were offered cars if they chose to live with dad. Oh, where yeah. people were offered, I will let, take you to Paris. If yeah, you, or I'll let your boyfriend spend the night at my house all of the time if you live with me instead of living with your dad. Yeah. There's a there there's a there's a case that um one of my colleagues talks about all the time where a 14-year-old decided that she wanted to live with her dad because the lockers at the school in her dad's district were bigger. <laughs> Y'all, I kid you not. I, I kid you not. We see this all the time. Uh, I mean, that's the reason that I just we are not the type of lawyers that want children involved if they don't have to be. You know, there's a few mechanisms like Dawn is talking about the affidavit that, okay, we don't want the kid involved. We definitely don't want the kid to have to come to court. How else can this child potentially be a witness and communicate their wishes to the court? One of which is through an affidavit, which still places the child in a, in a situation where they have to make a choice in writing that the other parent will see. I've had one parent say, this kid really wants to live with me and that's what they're going to write in their affidavit. And then when I've spoken to that child, the child has said, uh, well, I really just don't wanna make my mom upset. I really don't wanna make my dad upset. So I, I can write that. But if I if I do write it, is the other parent going to see it? Are they oh, going to know that I wrote this? That. Mm -hmm. And that tells me it's just ideal not to have kids in the middle if you can. But that is one vehicle for the child to be a witness in the case without having to actually physically be present. And there is another vehicle as well that we'll talk about when a guardian ad litem is appointed in a case. What is a guardian ad litem? So a guardian ad litem is a lawyer um, in most of the counties in Georgia, not all counties, and most states have mechanisms for guardian ad litem, who is appointed by the court to act as the eyes and the ears of the court. Mm -hmm. The judge can't get up off the, you know, the stand and go and talk to people or meet with the um, the children, a guardian ad litem, really acts as the eyes and the ears of the courts to investigate what's in the best interest of the child, not to represent the child and do automatically what the child wants. Exactly, right. which is very different. Very different. Um, guardian ad litems in Georgia have to be trained in a variety of areas, domestic violence, substance abuse, cultural competency, what the law is, developmental stages of children, lots of things. Right. Um, they are either appointed by the court at the request of one party or very frequently a guardian ad litem. The parties will agree to a certain guardian ad litem and will agree for that person to serve and do the investigation into what's in the best interest of the child. Um, the guardian ad litem is paid by the parties and the court will decide how that's, you know, divvied up and maybe might have one party pay for all of it up front and then reapportion that later in the case. Mm -hmm. um, 
the reason I'm talking so much, Kristen knows, is because I train guardians and I yep. serve as a guardian very frequently. Um, it is something I love. I will tell you, it's a thankless job. <laughs> People are always mad at you. Um, but I get to see kids. This morning, I played with a little three-year-old. I had the best time. Oh, I had such nice. a good time. And so that's a good example of you're spending time with that three-year-old as part of your investigation. What that three-year-old you know, communicates to you or what you observe about that three-year-old, you're allowed as the guardian ad litem to communicate that to the court, right? Right, exactly. So that three-year-old, for instance, this morning, you know, there's some issue about whether or not she has speech delay or developmental delay, right? Now, I'm not an expert in that, but I'm a human. Right. And I've raised two children. And I can say, oh, I'm hearing some intelligibility issues or, boy, She's smart as a whip. There's no delay here. You know, so that then I can do one of the things that guardians do, which is maybe recommend, hey, let's get an evaluation here or let's have this looked into further because I can do things like that. I can ask for substance abuse evaluations. I can ask for mental health evaluations if I think it's needed for me and the court Mm -hmm. to get that information to make decisions. Right. But ultimately, you know, I make a recommendation to the court. Um, about how I think parenting time and legal custody, meaning decision-making, should be divided. Um, The court doesn't need to listen to it. They may or may not um, listen to it. We can tell you for the most part, judges take what guardians say very seriously. Right. Um, But one of the things that's very unique about guardians, and this is why it sort of stems from the question about the child being a witness, is The guardian can testify or tell the court what they hear from other witnesses. Right. Including children. Which ordinarily would be considered hearsay. It would be considered hearsay and not admissible, but because a guardian ad litem is deemed to be an expert in the best interest of the child, then they can testify about the basis for their opinion. So it's a great alternative. It actually, a guardian, while they cost money, it can actually keep the cost in a case down because you don't have to depose so many witnesses. You don't have to bring them as witnesses in trial and the guardian can just report on what they do. How should I interact with my child's guardian ad litem? Honesty. The parties need to be honest with the guardian ad litem, need to cooperate with the process by making themselves available for conversations, by providing any information that the guardian asks for without delay, by, and this is important to me, by not talking to their children about the process of the guardian ad litem's investigation. When I previously did guardian ad litem work, I would frequently go to homes where the children would say, well, my mom told me you were going to ask me a bunch of questions today. And I'm ready for those questions. And I don't want to live with my dad because he does X, Y, Z. And I go on that little tangent because it harkens back to one of our other episodes where we talk about just trying to keep the kids out of this process. But one thing that a party should not do is talk to their children about the guardian ad litem being involved or what they can potentially you know, ask. You have to tell your kids, of course. Some people have asked me, how do I explain this to my children? Right. And um, what do you tell people about how to explain it? I think it just depends on the age of the child. That three-year-old this morning, she didn't need to say anything to no, her that about me like coming. Your mom's friend. Right. If it were a younger, you know, sort of younger elementary or even elementary school age, you say, 
you know, Miss Dawn is working with mommy and daddy at figuring out how to be the best parents they can be. And she's going to come and get to know you because she's like a coach for us. Right. You know, just something like that. That's a very neutral, healthy way to put it. Now, some children, because people have behaved badly, are going to know about the litigation. Right. And so you may say more, you know, like the judge needs somebody to help them figure this out. And Miss Dawn's going to work with that. Right. And that's it. And that's it. That's all you need to say. You don't need to go into it. And, you know, I just have to say, I had the same kid that you just described where I walked in <laughs> one time. She was six years old and she goes, um, I want to live with my dad. I, I, I don't want to see my mom. I don't, I don't want to travel to see her. And she's mean. And can we play baby dolls? No, no, she was probably so happy to get that off her chest. Oh my God, she got it off. And then immediately we went to the dollhouse. <laughs> So remember, if you're in this process and there's a guardian ad litem appointed, you likely have an attorney. Talk to your attorney about tips on how to interact with a guardian and how to behave. You have to remember, like we've said, everything is evidence in this case. So is the way that you interact with the guardian and your participation through the process. I mean, there are some parents who won't even participate in the guardian ad litem process. and, And as someone who's looking at what is the best interest of the children... How do you then expect the guardian to perceive that parent in a way that is positive, like they're actually trying to be a part of this and help get resolution when they won't even participate in the investigation? Right. A lot of people will say, and I had somebody yell this at me this week, (laughs) that this is invasive, right? And I don't like having to do this. And you shouldn't be able to ask me those questions. And, you know, I said, you chose to be in this process, right? Right. I didn't, when you open yourself up to a modification of custody, that's what the court does is look at it. And this is one of the vehicles the court chose to do it. So if it is invasive, it is. let me tell you, if you don't want invasive, if you don't want somebody in your business, then it behooves you to work things out with, with your, your partner. partner. Right. That you have choices. Right. But, you know, one of the judges that we like the most that you and I have talked to before says, you know, I only got a hammer and I'm going to use my hammer to do what really should be done with a surgical instrument. Yeah. Because, it, and, and, you know, the judge is not going to have the time. No, to, that's just the system. It's that we're just in. the system. You can do it. So mm-hmm. you are giving up all your power by subjecting yourself to this system. And you just should be aware of that. Can I take my child out of state for a vacation during the case? Yes. And you need to get the consent of the other party. If you don't get that consent, you may actually have to go to the court to ask for it. But it's really going to depend on how that domestic relations standing order reads. Right. Because different counties have different language in that. But just, guys, it's a good idea to communicate with the (laughs) other parent um, on anything, including, hey, I'm going to North Carolina this weekend. Yeah. This is good practice. But Kristen, what if he says no? You may not be able to go, but then you may be able to reach out to the court and ask your attorney to ask for a court date where you can request the judge's input on that problem. Now, that's a strategic decision that you need to make in the case with your counsel. It may be worth it. It may not be. I have counseled people in the past. Can we wait to take this vacation? Can you figure something else out? It really just depends. But no is not always the end. 
Right. And, you know, somebody's refusal to let the children go up and see grandparents in another state will not be viewed kindly by the court. Unless, the you know, the grandparents are using meth and turning tricks and, you know, doing all these (laughs) other things. (laughs) Right. But absent that, just straight up grandparents that don't do that. Yeah, it's like, be reasonable. Be reasonable in this situation. Of course, the kids want to go on spring break with their other parent. Why would you say no to that? Oh, yeah. Because guess what? The judge is going to get pissed because it hurts the child. Yes, that hurts the kid. Right. Not being able to go. Can my kids and I stay on my spouse's health insurance? So during the pendency of the action, the divorce action, not only can you stay on the health insurance, but the health insurance cannot be changed. People cannot... um, as retribution or revenge, go and drop people off of health insurance. Now, that's not to say we don't see it all the time. Right. Right. So the status quo is maintained. At the end of the divorce, whether it be through agreement or a judge orders it, the judge will say, who's going to cover the children on health insurance? So yes, Mm -hmm. children can remain on health insurance. Um, But while we're not health insurance experts, um, what we do know from doing this work is Getting a divorce is an event that requires you to be kicked off your spouse's health insurance. Yeah. Unless you elect and your spouse agrees for your election of COBRA benefits. So to continue that for up to 36 months. But otherwise, you got to get your own health insurance. So that needs to be, when you're doing your budget, a cost that you're looking into. Yep. This podcast will be updated every few months to reflect any development in the law and any additional questions you might have. If there's a question you haven't heard answered, email us at info at smithfileslaw.com and we'll add it to one of our updates. Please share this podcast with any of your friends or family who have family law related questions. If you are in the state of Georgia and would like to reach out to our offices, please call us at 404-909-8300 or email us at info at smithfileslaw.com. The content on Untying the Knots does not constitute legal advice or the practice of law by Kristen Files, Don Smith, or Smith & Files, LLC. Listening to the podcast does not form an attorney-client relationship between you and the podcasters. All listeners should consult with a qualified legal professional regarding their individual questions, needs, or issues that may be of concern. We are not responsible for any action taken by a reader based upon any information on this site. All of the content on the podcast is for general information and educational purposes only. Don Smith and Kristen Files are licensed to practice law in Georgia.